0: This is the Bigger Pockets podcast, show 190.
1: So, most of the world lives on what they call vertical income, which is, you know, you get a job, you get a 2% raise every year, and that's increasing vertically. And then at some point in your life, you get horizontal streams. You're listening
2: to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, You're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from biggerpockets.com, your home for real estate investing online.
1: What's
0: going on, everybody? This is Josh Dorkin, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with my co host, Mr. Brandon Turner. What's up, sir? Hey, I don't know. What's up with you? Man, summer is over. Today was the first day of school.
2: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Is the teacher being mean to you again? You know, all uh, uh, the kids picking on you. They
0: pick on me a little bit. Bring your school
2: lunch and your little Power Rangers lunchbox, all that good stuff. I was
0: wearing my Power Rangers costume.
2: Oh, there's just underwear. (laughs) That's it.
0: Don't 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 worry about what I'm wearing down there. (laughs) (laughs) But ah, man, school school's in session, so you know, I think uh, going to be getting back to a more normal uh, schedule around here, which is always exciting. It's also sad that the the travels and. And excursions of summer are coming to an end. But yeah, man, things are good. Things are going really well. Yeah, work is good, BP is good, life is life is going well. How about you?
2: Things are good. Finally got a property under contract again. I got a duplex under contract. It's been a couple of months, ah. kind of a dry spell here.
0: Oh. It's been kinda
2: of weird. So uh yeah, whatever. I'm getting it. Yeah, that would Yeah, should close here in a month or so. And well, uh,
0: congratulations. Thanks, That's great. It's yeah, great.
2: Are you? Uh, the you belt? You're gonna move in. You're gonna house hack it. I'm not gonna house hack that one. No, why not? not? Well, here's the beauty of this one. It's actually rented. Both houses, two houses, one lot. Both are already rented. Cash flow from day one. Private lending is gonna fund so the entire you're thing. No money down. Tenants. You're yes, it's I am taking the risk. Man. I know. I'm taking the risk there. uh Oh. Have, have you vetted know, I met, them? I met both of them. Okay. Uh, you know, they, they seem all right. I might budget a little bit for uh, an eviction at some point, but we'll see. <laughs> Bad move. <laughs> yeah, I mean, worst case scenario. I mean, I mean, I'm actually evicting some inherited tenants right now as we speak. Yeah, uh, you know, That's it's, not a couple, a bad move. It's, it's a couple.
0: It's a couple. You have to be prepared. Yeah, for it, you got to right? be
2: prepared. The property I bought a few months ago that I knew I was going to have to evict them, I just set aside like three grand. I said three grand of my repair budget was eviction money. So there's a yeah. little quick tip for people.
0: Yeah, there you go. Well, yeah. I, I, I've got a. I've, I've got do? a quick tip too. What's your yeah. quick tip? Today's quick tip. Today's quick tip is. Check out the Bigger Pockets video library. We just launched it. You can go Fancy. to biggerpockets.com slash videos and uh, find all your favorite bigger pockets videos up there in our video library.
2: And it might be the prettiest page in all the bigger pockets. It is pretty they, 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 Who Ed designed that, right?
0: I think it I think was it. Ed, yeah. I think so too. yeah. He's,
2: he's a yeah, a rock star there. It looks yeah, good. He is. It it
0: looks great. But yeah, so we we've got a video library, you know, so many people
2: they're you know, like, hey, where do I
0: get your videos? So instead of sending them off to lots of other places, which you can still find our videos on, but yeah, just go to Pocket slash videos, and the library uh, will be there. So. Yeah.
2: It's very cool. Quick tip. Quick quick tip. All right. Well, let's get on with the thing. Today's show is really, really awesome. It's by a guy who is actually a billion. We're interviewing a billion-dollar agent, which means he's sold more than a billion dollars in in, in property. Shut your mouth. Yeah, a billion dollars in property. That's a very small club of agents out there who have done that. Uh, But he's also a real estate investor and kind of a cool perspective on some stuff, especially like how he – works with other investors who buy apartment complexes that whole kind of the partnership thing is really, really cool. I think you guys will like that kind of an angle we haven't covered before.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He was the top agent in the entire world at yeah. Remax for one year and also at Keller Williams. I mean, yep. that's, and obviously he's a real estate investor. so yeah, lots of, lots of great stuff. We, we, we cover lots of, Lots of topics from yeah, you know man. low income uh, rentals to yeah section uh, eight stuff that was fun section eight yes multiple <laughs> streams of income. Yeah, it's it's a great show. Yeah, so, his
2: his philosophy. We we talk about it towards the end of the show, but his philosophy on like what he calls horizontal income, I think, yes. is something that every it's listener fascinating. here fascinating. Every listener here should be be listening and doing what he's talking about. I think.
0: Well, you know, from what he says, what the average person has, what one to two streams. Yeah, one or two, at most three yep. of horizontal income uh, yeah. by the time they're retired. And he's you know, got his 60 philosophy. Years. Yeah, he's got sixty something. It's it's amazing. I <laughs> yeah. love it. I love it. Guys, this is show 190 of the Bigger Pockets podcast. You can check out the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 190. And otherwise, guys, really quickly before we get into it, definitely make sure to subscribe to the show if you have not done so already. Just hit the subscribe button on iTunes, Stitcher. SoundCloud, wherever else you're consuming the show, or if you're just listening on our website, follow those links to Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, you name it, and subscribe. Also, you if you have a chance, please leave us a rating and review while you're at it. Let's get to this thing. Today's guest, as we already said, is a Billion? No, he's not a billionaire. That would be that would be pretty cool. Well, you know, if you are a billionaire and want to be on the show and invest in real estate, get in touch. We would certainly be interested in chatting with you. But no, our guest today, Pat Hyben, has done a whole lot of transactions as a real estate agent and has changed and transformed his life and now focuses primarily on investing in real estate for income purposes. And uh, he's done all sorts of deals. I think he's done about a, a hundred deals, is is yep. what he said. And, and he's uh, a New York
2: Times bestselling author, so he is also a New York, York Times
0: best selling author. He's a podcaster. Yeah, the guy's
3: brilliant. The guy's doing lots of great things. Passive income without the property headache, it's possible. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The easiest way to collect rent? RentApp. RentApp is a seamless, secure, free payment tool for small rental property owners like you and me. Built by a team of fintech veterans behind Square and Cash App, RentApp uses ACH bank transfers to deposit rent directly into your account. Landlords love RentApp for its unbeatable convenience. Isn't it time you made rent collection easier? RentApp, the free and easy way to collect rent. Learn more at rent.app/landlord. That's rent.app/landlord. So
1: let's get to this, Pat. Welcome to the show, man. It's good to have you here. Josh Brandon, thanks for having me, man. This is awesome.
3: Yeah, no, it's an honor.
2: This I should promise. be fun. This should be fun today. Yeah. So we're talking about. He's famous, uh,
1: isn't he? This guy.
2: He's a big deal. I hear. That's 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 the word. That Rumor was, has it. Rumor has it. it. Tell us real quickly about yourself. Why why would we say you're you're you got some accolades?
1: Yeah. Well, I kind of wish that uh, I'm, I'm in the real estate sales business uh, from the beginning, and uh, I wish it was a business where you could get. Rich without being famous, and I'm working <laughs> on that now. Actually, is how to <laughs> how to get richer without being more famous Yeah, but it is what it is. So I've been a real estate agent, licensed full time in the state of Maryland for 27, going on 28 years, and reached some very high peaks at some very big companies. In 2004, I was the number one Remax agent in the world. In 2006, I believe it was, I was number one at Keller Williams. Oh. Hey Brandon, then, can we get a more impressive guest? I I, I don't know <laughs> that
0: this guy really cuts the mustard.
2: Yeah, you know, well he he did a good job as an agent. It sounds like, but you also invest as well, correct? You got some real estate investments yeah. in there?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, I, and and I, you know, that's part of my thing is I think that uh, real estate agents or or commission people in general, but mainly real estate agents, don't invest. Like they just don't. They they yeah. they talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk.
0: Oh man, hallelujah! Yeah, <laughs> I I've been. I've been screaming that from the hilltops, man, for for twelve years since I've been doing this. I mean, it just it blows my mind. I was an agent for KW and, and Coldwell for like six minutes each. Was not very good <laughs> at either time. But like, what what shocked me was that the agents were not investing. It, it, it just like I didn't get it, and and I I get it now. I mean, I think they just most of them don't fully understand the business. They they they're not trained. They don't know how to evaluate deals from an investment capacity, and you know they think that they don't have the resources to do it, but you know little do they know you can be creative and actually get some deals done but uh yeah it's just it's fascinating to me
1: well, they tend to be right brained animals, you know, so they're very gregarious and very salesmany and and great with people, but just terrible when it comes to numbers and operations and you know everything down to savings. You know, one of my favorite things to do is to pick up a magazine called the Baltimore Business Journal. And in the back, it has three or four pages of all the tax liens in the Baltimore area and highlight names of real estate agents I know. <laughs> 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 it, it, it sounds mean, but it's just like, look at that sucker. You know, it's is like a is that your like,
0: your weekly yeah. social media post
1: is like <laughs> – But of course on his websites, he's saying you know, I'm the best and I'm the you know, I'm greatest and look at me in this you know, $2,000 suit. But here I am in the back of the newspaper with a tax lien on my house.
2: Well, and, and that's one of the reasons I think so many, especially newer real estate investors, they take advice from their real estate agent who may or may not but may have never bought a single property in their life. They may have never done anything, but they take all this advice like, oh, my agent said that was a good deal. I'm going to go buy it. My agent said this was a good multifamily. I'm going to go yeah. buy it. And, and they rely on uh, you know rather than doing their own numbers, they rely on somebody else to tell them what what's good and what's not, and it's dangerous.
1: I love your last guest, David. How he and, and I'll never forget this. He said he said when you ask a real estate agent how the market is, don't tell them if you're a buyer or seller.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. That,
1: that was deep. I was like, oh, there you go. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yep. I, I love that too. Yeah, that was an awesome show. So people can go back and listen to that, by the way, by going to biggerpockets. slash show. I don't even remember what number that was, 186 <laughs> we'll, maybe? We'll,
0: we'll, put, we'll put it in the show, yeah, in the we'll show put notes. The show notes Check out the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 190. Yeah,
2: I think um, it was 87, I think, but uh, 187. Anyway, all right, so let's jump back into your story. So, I mean, I, you were an agent for years. You obviously knew what you were doing in that business, but let's talk about getting into your investing. Like, when did you first buy your uh, property for yourself? Like, when did you jump from agent to buyer?
1: I was 23. 23. So it. 23, yeah. And so um, I bought a townhouse. And I rented out the basement to two girls, and then I rented uh, one of the bedrooms upstairs to a friend of mine, and lived in in the other bedroom. So kind of, and I shared a bathroom with my roommate. Didn't have I didn't have my own bathroom until actually until I got married. Nice. So, you, so you house hacked. That's... Yeah, we, call,
2: we call that house hacking.
1: Yeah. yeah. I was so proud of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's yeah. a
2: great way to get started. I mean, yeah, whether it's a single family duplex, you know, triplex, fourplex, like those uh, good way to get started. Do you, I mean, do you look back on that with fond memories now or you're like, what the hell was I doing?
1: <laughs> no, I think it was great. You know what I mean? Cause I just did it. I never really paid rent for very long. Yeah, And so I was always a landlord after that, you know, or owned my own home. And I actually kept that house up until like five years ago, finally sold it. But, you know, I mean, that was a great deal. You know, I just kept it and eventually it was paid off. And, you know, yeah. so anyways, that was, cool. I'm, I'm proud cool. of that. Yeah. Well, that's that's one of the, the
0: strategies that, that we really love to share with newer investors. You know, a lot of people come out and they're like, you know, I don't have a lot of money. I don't have resources. I'm not sure how to get started. And we always recommend looking at house hacking as, as a way to go because it's an opportunity to save on your own personal payments while learning the ropes of becoming a landlord. Do you have any stories from those days or any tips, advice or anything like that for newbies? For yeah, well,
1: well what, what pops into my head is, is an amazing story. It's not about me, but it's about a guy I know. He's in Texas and he's an illegal alien. Uh, it, it, he was brought here when, when he was a kid with his, from his parents from Peru when they were on vacation or alleged vacation, and then they stayed here. Right. And so my point of this is now he's 26, so he's been here like whatever, 16 years or something. He has bought in Texas five houses from house hacking without being a citizen in that uh, he cannot get a mortgage, but his, his name – let me think about this. Yeah, he cannot get a mortgage, but his name could be on the deed. Mm-hmm. So yeah. so what he does is he gets a friend of his or someone he knows to get the mortgage, right? And then they split the house 50-50. They both own 50% of the house, and he has five investment properties now. That's awesome. Wow. That's actually what I'm my.
2: When when I had no money at all, I mean, that was my main strategy. When I couldn't get a mortgage, I had no job and no money, and I was trying to you know do this flipping house and buying rentals and all that, and banks didn't like me. That was my main strategy, find a partner, somebody who maybe had good credit, who the bank loved to work with, and say, hey, why don't we just split this 50-50? You get the mortgage in your name. We'll both be on title, and we'll just split everything down the middle, and that worked out fantastic for me for a number of years.
1: Well, yeah, I, I, th- I think that's a it's a great lesson. By the way, if, if a lot of people are curious, like how do I go from Monopoly little greenhouses to big red hotels? Mm-hmm. Most people that go from little greenhouses to big red hotels do it with partners. Yeah, you know, do it with with somebody else that's richer. So yeah. that, there's an answer there. Some people might be searching for. Yeah. What What I like about that story is, I mean, this this is a guy who, like you said, I mean, uh,
0: illegal, you know, and that's not stopping him from making it happen so if he can go and he can make it happen then all you guys listening who are saying well i don't know i don't have money or i don't have this i don't have that like those are excuses i mean there's there's an answer to all those things and it may not be you're going to buy it today it may be you know it'll take you a little bit of time but you know anybody can do this you just have to find the path and there's a path for everybody
2: yeah Yeah. One of the, one of the stories I like to tell people, like I do this, I say this on the bigger pockets webinar every week is, uh, or almost every week I tell this story. Imagine for a minute that, I mean, people say I can't afford to buy a house. I don't have enough money. Right. So I'd like to use this story. Imagine that somebody, your next door neighbor offered you their house for a thousand bucks, just a thousand dollars, but it was worth a million. But for a thousand dollars, the problem is you didn't have a thousand bucks in your bank account. You had no money. Would you figure out a way to buy, come up with $1,000? And, and everyone says, well, of course. And I said, well, how do you do that? I don't know. I'd ask to borrow from somebody. Okay, well, what else? Uh, you know, maybe I'd partner with somebody, not from half the deal. Okay, what else would you do? And like, the exact same situation applies to any real estate. If you can do it with 1000 I mean, the bottom line is you find a good enough deal, and you're going to be able to find the funding for it if you want it bad enough. Yeah. So-
1: and there's a ton of people out there that want to invest in real estate, but don't want the pain associated with looking at houses and picking a house and dealing yeah. with contractors. So, so if you can take that pain away, you know, chances are there's, that's worth fifty percent to them. You know, yeah. we use their money and their credit. And you deal with all the pain, and they're like, well, at least I own half a house, or you know, yeah, for so. sure, for sure.
0: Well, I, I think we want to talk more about the partners thing as as we uh, move along. But before we do what What came next? So you bought this townhouse, you had the girls, the friend in the basement you know you're starting to experience what it's like to be a landlord. I'm guessing you got the bug
1: right yeah, so here's the thing so this was like nineteen ninety one something like that, and so the very next year, i wasn't married at the time, but I did end up marrying this girl, and I'm still married to her, but my girlfriend at the time, I had her get an f h a loan on a house around the corner from this first one. So she ended up buying that house, which was really on, on, in both our names. But I needed her because it was a first-time buyer loan, and I didn't want to put—I didn't have twenty percent to put down. So it was two point three percent down. So we put it in her name, so we bought that second one. Now here's a mistake that I made. So that was say ninety-two. Let's just say. So I didn't buy a house uh, again until two thousand, or maybe nineteen ninety-nine. So, and a lot of people ask me, Pat, what's the what's the one mistake if you look back or what's the one thing you didn't do that you kind of regret? And I think that would be it. It would be that I should have bought a house a year minimum in, in that eight year time frame. you know, just methodically bought a house because the real estate market didn't change at all in the nineties. It was basically flat, you know, it didn't go up, it didn't go down. It was just there. And now looking back, of course, those houses would be worth yeah. three or four times as much. And They'd all be paid off. So, but anyway, so I took an eight-year sabbatical. I I got into what like everyone else got into the stock market. I actually took. uh, I had in ninety nine two thousand. Yeah, right around a good time. uh, All in the nineties, you know. Yeah, I made. uh, I wrote about this in my book. I actually, I think it was two thousand and one. I became a millionaire. Right, I used to have this software. I think it's still out. Microsoft Money, where every night you'd go there and it would calculate how much money you have, and it calculated a 13 dollars. Nice, nice. And uh, I screamed. And my wife's like, "What's going <laughs> on? What's going on?" I said, "We're millionaires. We made it. We're millionaires." And I showed her, and she's like, "What do you want to do to celebrate?" And I said, "I don't care what we do, long as it doesn't cost more than thirteen dollars." <laughs> <laughs> And that's a, that's, that's a true story. story. And, and we <laughs> ate, uh, Jerry's cheesesteaks and Miller Lite. Nice. And I actually took a picture that I still have today. It's a picture of us sitting there eating Jerry's cheesesteaks and Miller Lite saying, you know, we're millionaires. So, <laughs> I love but it. then there's, a, there's another side of that story. And of course then, you know, 9-11 happened The market crashed. So I lost 800 grand I think my portfolio was at like at 115 or something. So I was like 1,150,000, went all the way down to like 330 um, over a course of a year, right? One year, it it just, it was all tech stocks, it was all margined out. You know, I was borrowing money to buy stocks. And uh, I, I just couldn't get out from under it. You know, I was like, it's going to turn around. The broker was like, it's going to turn around. Don't worry about it. Stick in. Don't bail. And it just went all the way down. And then it was at that point that I was like, you know what? I'm going into real estate. You know, I'm going to just start. I should have never stopped. I'm going to just go with what I knew because I knew real estate. You know, I understood real estate. So then, then I started buying a bunch of rental properties and I bought a bunch of properties in uh, U- University of Maryland College Park and rented them to college kids. And then I bought a bunch of ghetto properties in Baltimore City and did Section 8 rentals.
2: Well, cool. can I ask you how that turned out? I mean, like the Section 8 rentals and kind of a, it sounds like not the world's best neighborhood. I mean, like what was that experience like? And do you still own them today?
1: Yeah, I still have six properties in Baltimore City. I try to buy – I kept – the ones that I kept or bought were in neighborhoods where if they found out that I was going to put a Section 8 in there, they would be upset. Okay. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I didn't want to buy on a block where every house in there was Section 8 because I felt that the risk is too high – for a market to p- be created by investors that all want to sell at the same time. It, real quick, That's could fascinating. you?
2: It is. And I was, uh, can you explain what Section 8 is? So for the people who might never have heard of that term before that are listening to the show, what does that mean and why is it potentially beneficial? What are the downsides?
1: Sure. It's basically government money that if you're um, poor, let's just say, and you have a bunch of kids, you could qualify for Section 8 because your income, you know, because you can't afford to live where you want to live with all these kids. So you apply to the government and then they can, they usually will pay somewhere between 80% and a hundred percent of your rent for you. And generally the people that go through the process of applying and are organized enough that, you know, cause they went through the interviews and the processes and all that stuff. And they all have some job, whether it's working at a Royal farm store, selling chicken, or it's, you know, working at a prison as a Prison guard. I have one of those at Section 8. They're making some money, maybe 30 grand or something, but they're not making enough to afford something that houses four kids and a a mom. So, anyways, they tend to be better than obviously, you know, four dub fiends or, you know, a, a professional criminal. So I don't want people to get the wrong idea. These are poor people with some sort of job that are organized enough to pass all the interviews and things. Now, at the same time, they are socialized in believing that they're entitled to this. After a while, yeah. So what happens is, if you have a problem with them, they're kind of like, "Well, I don't care. You know, I'm going to work the system." Like I had a, I had a lady who actually lost her voucher, so she was getting like the rent was fourteen hundred bucks, and she's getting twelve hundred of it. So we're getting direct deposits for 1200 bucks a month. She's giving us 200. It works out fine whether she pays us or not. And then all of a sudden she loses that $1200 because she did something wrong. I don't know what she did, but she did something wrong and they said you're not a candidate anymore. So then we got to kick her out cuz she can't afford it and she's like, "No, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna work the system." She actually told us to our face, "I'm going to work the system." Which meant she was going to let it go through the courts, which in Maryland takes four or five months before you can kick him out. So, and she did.
2: Ugh. Yeah, Ugh. I I, uh, real quick, I was gonna say, I had a Section Eight tenant. You had them too, right, Josh? Back uh, in the day, I had a lot
0: of them. Yeah, yeah
2: I had yeah. one who wouldn't let the inspectors in to inspect her unit, which they're supposed to do. So she lost her voucher, which then of yeah. course she can't pay. Same thing. A- and yeah. that, it took me three or four. I think it took me that one three months to get her out, and had a, she threatened to shoot me in the process anyway.
0: Well, so I mean, so the downside is that you know, there's lots of things going on here, right? They're getting assistance from the government. If that goes away for whatever reason, most likely because they screwed up, then you're you're going to lose your tenant. What, what are the positives? Why would somebody, because I, I will tell you, you know, when I first, started investing and I brought on section 8 tenants. I was really excited. I was like, "Oh, I get a guaranteed check from the government. I don't have to worry if they're making the money and if they like you said if that 200 bucks doesn't come in, as long as I paid, right? I'm good." And in theory, that was great. In practice, managing section 8 was not something I was down with um, nor, you know, it, it it takes a certain kind of person to deal with, you know, the the lower income properties because a lot of problems tend to come with them. So, what what are the Positives that that happen besides
1: the the guaranteed rent? Well, in my experience, these are the positives. Number one, it's a seller's market, right? Because, like, I can get four people that want, you know, one of these properties when it comes open again that all want it, right? And I can pick which one I want, right? Right. So, and if I tried to sell it to a regular family and get $1,400 a month, I couldn't get it right they're not going to pay that it would then become a a buyer's market at that point so it's a seller's market from the get go because of supply and demand because less landlords want to do it and there's a huge demand of there's people that have these vouchers that can't find a house yep. second thing is they pay above market rent they're generally yep. paying me 10 to 20% above market rent that's not in every market, though, Pat, right?
0: I mean, I know some markets, Section 8 will actually pay above market, but in, in others, you,
1: you may end up getting flatter or slightly below, right? Yeah, I, I can't answer that, probably. I know in Baltimore, they pay above market. You sure. Know, they because there's what it is. So, sure. and then the other thing is, you know, the, the direct deposit that always hits your bank account at the same time, you know, the first of the month, it's always there. The money's always there. Uh, so, those are the positives. And if they have little, if their kids are young enough, they tend, and I don't mean to generalize, but they tend to, you know, want to stay there. It's not unheard of that they could stay there a long time. They're not really, yeah. you know, out there shopping for something better. For the most part. Now, I just had a situation where the lady was, a uh, uh, she'd only been there six months and she was, she witnessed a crime and a gang that was involved in said crime came to her house and threatened her. So she called section eight and they called us and said, we need to get her out of there and move her to a new address. And I could have held her to the lease, but I just felt it was bad karma. Like I wasn't going to – you know, I didn't want to, I felt bad for her. She's yeah. trying to do the yeah. right thing and be a witness where the rest of the city would be like, I didn't see anything. I didn't see anything. So I'm like, this is bad karma. Just let her out. And we just let her out. That house is coming on the market in like two weeks. So I'll, yeah. I'll rent it right away again. I guarantee it. Yeah. Gotcha.
0: All right. So Section 8, there's some positives, there's some negatives. It's not for everybody, but there's definitely an opportunity to make money. Um, r- really quickly before we move on, because I, I want to get to the college rentals after this really quick. You said that your properties, your Section 8s gen- generally tend to be in neighborhoods where it's not a ton of Section 8 housing. And I, I think that's actually a really good idea. I yeah, wish I, I thought do. of that. <laughs> um, how does one go about applying to make a property section 8 how does one
1: do that well you know they just go on the internet and they download the rules and then and there's certain things you got to do you got to put it, like a lot of smoke detectors and co2 detectors and and just make it safe lead sure. paint safe just make sure it's safe according to their rules and then they come out and inspect it the city will come out and inspect it and if you pass your inspection then it's eligible for section 8 and there's a website gosection 8.com and section 8 people just go to Gosection 8.com and at least in this area and they they just look for rentals and generally like i said there's more people that want it than there are landlords perfect cool
0: all right college rentals so you know also a, a niche within a niche right yeah
1: why college rentals what, what's your experience been with those i've always been a cash flow guy right? I never really bought too many houses in the area that I lived directly, like my little neighborhood, because I knew that those were appreciation plays. You know, I knew that they were stable and they're good neighborhoods and good schools, but the ratios were just terrible with what you can get for rent. So I always wanted to get go to where I had an advantage, right? And section A was one I felt and college rentals are another. And that what happens with the college rentals is you could charge by bedroom. So whereas a family might pay twenty four hundred bucks for a house if it has five bedrooms, I can get you know thirty five hundred from six college kids or five college kids by charging them seven hundred dollars each. And if you look at what it costs to rent a dorm, the dormitories are probably seven hundred bucks, and you have to share a room with another kid. Where here in a house, you get your own room for the same price. And I'm getting market rents that are literally 50, 75% above market. I have one deal I did. I actually bought a piece of land and I put two houses on it that are six bedroom, two bath, split foyer houses. So two level houses, a bath upstairs, a bath downstairs, two bedrooms, a kitchen and a living room upstairs, four bedrooms downstairs and a bathroom and a laundry room. Side by side, identical houses. I bought the land for. Let me think. The whole thing I think cost me a buck seventy-five a house, right? That's what mm-hmm. it costs, one hundred seventy-five thousand a house. Now this was like two thousand and two. Today, rent is nine grand for the two houses. Whoa. Wow! So forty-five hundred dollars each house. And what happened was, both of these houses are right behind sorority and fraternity row. So we have one sorority that's been renting them out. both houses for like six years they pass it down generation to generation little brother to you know little sister to big sister whatever they keep passing it down we never have to market it nothing no marketing costs and uh, we're getting 4500 bucks a month each house nine grand it's phenomenal and some of that has to do with they made these laws with the fraternity row where they could only bring like a 12 pack of beer in a month or whatever, something silly with the amount of beer that they're allowed to bring in. And, <laughs> and uh, they're like, this is ridiculous. You know, you, I think it was like one beer per person per night or something. So they, there was an exodus of all these sorority sisters looking for houses, and they've locked in on these too. So anyways, I'm, I'm getting really high rents, and they're market rents. You know, I'm not gouging. Yeah. Actually, mine are, are lower than some.
2: I love that. I love the creativity behind that. Yeah. Like yeah, it's Absolutely. just unique. So, I mean, how do you manage all that now? Do you have a, is it a typical property manager looks after Do you go over there, hang out with the store or do you,
1: assist, <laughs> you know, separate the fights? Hey, girls, what, but... I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. You know, a lot of these houses I haven't seen in, in years, but I have a, you know, I have a guy, Mike, who is a courier for the real estate team that I sold in 2010. And he's been with the team for like 12 years or something. So early on, you know, I hired him to do the property management. I think I pay him 6% and he does everything, you know, except for the accounting. And then I have an accountant that I've had for years who does all the bookkeeping and things like that. And then he charges me 500 bucks a month, I believe, for 10 houses Wow. Yeah. Sounds pretty good. And 6% is, is kind of a steal. So that's, that's yeah. awesome. And he's happy. I'm happy, you know, so it works yeah. out.
0: Hey, so h- how do you make, how do you make a house college proof, college kid proof?
1: Well, here's the thing, you know, it's really, believe it or not, it's mental because I don't, if I never see the house, I don't really care what they do to it. It's not <laughs> yeah. like they're going to burn it down. Right. Or, I mean, they <laughs> might. Yeah, they might, you know? but no, so, probably not. And, and by the way, I have That's sprinklers. That's Brandon's tenants to do when, that. When, <laughs> That's true. When I built them, I put sprinklers in them. Yeah. Okay. Number one. Number two, we put you know commercial-grade black carpet in them. Yeah. Um, of course, we load them up with smoke detectors. But, but the real answer is this. We charge two months rent, security deposit. So I got nine grand each house. So I got $18,000 of security deposit right, for these awesome. two houses. And we have the kids and the parents sign the leases. And so, you know, it's pretty strong. It's a, again, that's a, that's a seller's market. We're able to do that, but that protects us. We've never had a problem. I mean, we've had, we've had problems, but we never lost money on a security deposit. And even if they just did headbutts into the wall with a headbutt contest and put massive holes <laughs> all over the whole house, it, I wouldn't care, right? Cause I don't see it anyways. It's just a, you know, it's a business
0: yeah. So, well, so we we had a, on the podcast a long time ago, Darren Sager, and one of his big things was how do you tenant proof your house? I, I don't remember what show it was, and we'll link to that on the show notes as well. But you know, he went and bought, yeah, I believe he got you know flooring that was just you know super sturdy, uh, you know, extra hardcore walls and things like that. You're you're not doing any of that beyond the, the commercial grade carpets and sprinklers.
1: Yeah. No. And if every tenant we have to repaint, recarpet, we don't. Again, we don't care. And that sure. rarely happens, you know, so yeah. got it. Cool. Cool.
2: Okay. Well, so moving on back to your story a little bit. So I know uh, maybe before we get to the rest of your story, I mean, do you have an estimate? If you had to estimate how many total like real estate deals have you done where you're actively a part owner or a full owner and like, do you have any kind of ballpark estimate?
1: You know, I like the number a hundred or so. Okay. It's it's just hard to say, you know, right. I've been involved with a bunch of flips. I like to sell, you know what I mean? I'm not one of these guys that holds forever. I do like to sell. Sometimes I'm right. Sometimes I'm wrong, you know, um, but I do like taking money off the table, you know, for, you know, like the deals I did with um, that I'm doing with Andrew Cushman, i Andrew and I and some other investors have bought eight apartments since we started buying maybe eight, six years ago or something, but we've sold four of them. So we've sold 50 percent of what we bought. So, I'm not afraid to sell. I think a lot of people are afraid to sell. I'm not afraid to take money off the table and I'm not afraid to pay taxes on a gain. I'll try to ten ninety nine it but if I can't, I'll just pay taxes. I don't care because i you know i I think it's prudent to be strong enough to be able to sell
0: makes sense interesting interesting yeah a lot a lot of people get nervous about that and say you know i I don't want to sell unless I could ten thirty one it into into another property. You're saying. If I'm buying it right and I'm selling it, you know, I'm going to sell it with enough room where it's kind of irrelevant. I'm, I'm going to make a lot of money on these things.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, and again, I, I, no one knows with the, if I'm right or wrong until I'm 80 years old looking back <laughs> on the whole thing. Yeah, sure. Um, and I have 1099. I mean, I have 1031. Did I say 1099? I don't know. I think <laughs> 1031 I exchange. I have 1031 uh, a bunch of stuff, so I'm not against it. But at the same time, you know, if you're selling something and you're and it's at its peak, you know, and then you're buying something else in the same area at its peak, then it's kind of you might as well keep what you have, you know. Yeah. So I don't know. And then and then I invest in other stuff too. You know, I start diversifying. I think I'm 38 percent. I call them cum bets. You know, if you play craps, a cum bet is when you bet on the the roll, the last roll, right? So these are like something on the come so something is going to whatever comes next so they're they're more like private companies more riskier things
0: Interesting. Uh,
1: where i used to be maybe in 2008 i can tell you i was 0% combets 0% betting on what was coming next now i'm about 30 some percent betting on what's coming next private companies equity deals hedge funds stuff like that but i'm still 65 70% real estate Okay. I was just gonna say, you know, it, it's interesting because a,
0: a lot of people go all in. They're like, "I'm gonna go 100% real estate. I know it. I understand it." And you know, they say I diversify through real estate within real estate, which you know makes sense. You're saying, "Hey, I'm gonna look at these other opportunities, your come bets, and go forward with those." Why there's the the ratios that that you're choosing? Why why 65% real estate? Would you ever want to go below 50% or no. you know,
1: Okay. No, it's too scary. And I'm also I'm getting to the point now where I think that the world, the American world, let's just say, is too much ingenuity. Like uh, with Shark Tank and playing over and over and over again and and with all this money out there, there's like so much investing and these people I I invested in sixteen companies and I'm starting to feel like, you know, some of these companies that I invested in, the hardest that they worked was when they were trying to raise, raise the money. Yeah, raise. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You know, and I don't see them anymore. I'm like, what did you guys do? I see them on Facebook because social media and I make sure I friend them all. And they, Here I am in France, you know, here I am doing this. I'm like, what the hell are you doing, dude? You should be <laughs> out <on> hustling. <Yeah. laughs> you know, where's my money? Yep. So um, so I actually, about two months ago, I just started saying no to everything, you know, because I, fa- I think I'm over leveraged. I think I want to be... Uh, more cash. My wife and I bought, uh, now we own two like primary residents, one in Maryland, one in South Carolina. I sold a, an office building uh, that I made some money on and uh, bought the house in South Carolina. It was like 800 grand. We paid cash for that. And I think I'm just going to leave that. And then we have one in here in Maryland, which has like 50% equity in it. And I'm going to just leave that. So, anyways, I'm starting to become more cash focused. Uh, gotcha.
2: And I think that just part comes with, uh, you know, any real estate investor's life is this kind of shift focuses as they go and eventually get to the point where you're at right now. Not to say you're old or anything. I'm just saying you're,
1: <laughs> you're well, experienced, you, you, you know, I just <laughs>
0: you just said
3: that. Not cool, dude. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago before I ever started my real estate business, Pretty good little episode, right? While you were listening, you could have been getting paid rent with RentApp. Landlords love RentApp because it makes rent collection a breeze. RentApp uses ACH bank transfers to deposit funds directly into your account. Setup is straightforward for renters, and landlords don't need to download anything. Both have peace of mind with the digital transaction history. Isn't it time you made landlording a little easier? RentApp, the best way to pay or collect rent. Learn more at rent.app/landlord. That's rent.app Slash landlord. Transactions own multiple businesses. Relay lets you open unlimited accounts and access them all from one centralized login. Okay, I'm just I'm going off script here. That is cool. It's annoying that I have to log into ten business accounts with my current bank. So go sign up for RelayFi because that's a, that's a feature that I like. No monthly fees or minimums, and it takes just ten minutes to sign up. Head on over to RelayFi.com/slash/BiggerPockets for stress-free banking. You can join me because I'm heading on over there right now. I'm heading on over to RelayFi.com slash bigger pockets. Relay is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services provided by Thread Bank, member FDIC. The Relay Visa debit card is issued by ThreadBank pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. and may be used everywhere Visa debit cards are accepted.
2: All right, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna transition before I get myself into more trouble. And I wanna talk about, uh, you, you mentioned earlier that you work on some apartment complexes with some partners, guys like Andrew Cushman, who we had on the show. Can we talk about that for a little bit? Coming from the standpoint of your, you know, we've had a lot of guys like Andrew on the show, who are the syndicate. I mean, they're the guys that put together everything, but we haven't talked a lot about the guys who are the ones partnering with them, that providing the funding. And I'm assuming that's kind of your main role or are you yeah. also actively- No,
1: that, that's, that's the role. He's the, he's the brain behind it. You know, okay. he, he's, he does all the analysis and all that. And then we're just the money people, essentially. I mean, we, we throw in our two cents, but essentially we're the money people or we're the people that know people with money.
2: Yeah. Okay. So, and that's why I think this will be a fascinating topic because uh, again, not, I mean, for people listening to this right now, I want to hear a little bit about like your experience with that, both from the standpoint of when I'm trying to raise money from guys like you, like, what are you looking for? What makes you feel comfortable to invest with somebody, but also people listen to the show who have money and they don't want to necessarily spend the next six months putting together this gigantic deal. They'd rather just find somebody they trust. So from both those standpoints, can you talk about like what attract, what attracts you to a deal? What makes you say, you know what? I think I do want to go in on this deal and put my money into it.
1: Well, I think that the people need a track record. I think that's so important because I get deals all the time. You know, people, I mean, this is not an exaggeration. I probably get a deal a day of somebody because I have a podcast and people know I invest and they hear me and people I don't even know are like, hey, you know, my brother's putting this shopping center development deal together or my, you know, blah, 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 blah. Anyways, make a long story short. And what I look at is, you know, do they have a track record? And, and a lot of times they don't, a lot of times they're just, for some reason, think that they're a syndicate person, you know, or that they can put together a development deal Yeah. Yeah. and they have no experience in it. It's ridiculous. So I think it's important that you look at who it is and and how many have they done and what's the track record and, you know, what, what are their averages and, Do your due diligence because I've certainly done deals over the years, all sorts of deals where I lost all my money. And it is possible, you know, that that could happen. There's a dark side to capitalism. I think that a lot of people have that wrong. They think that, you know, they can write a check for a hundred grand and and give it to somebody. And no matter what, it's, it's going to do good. Well, you know, there's a dark side, even though these little rentals, you know, there's a dark side, but it's the key is doing enough of them. I have, I have, close to 60 now it fluctuates between 55 and 60 like streams that pay me horizontally um that's why, how i was essentially in 2010 or so able to get out of the real estate sales business and just kind of hang out and um and uh, so anyways I, I think it doesn't bother me you know if, if my tenant moves out because of you know she was threatened it sure. doesn't bother me if a kid you know Lights a couch on fire because Maryland lost a Duke, <laughs> which did happen. Uh, it, but it was, luckily it was in the front yard. Wow. So, anyways, am I making sense? Yeah, yeah,
0: for sure. Yeah. Hey, you said track record. I, I, I have two questions yeah. that just came Thanks. from your answer. What about? I, I understand that that people need a tr- you're looking for somebody with a track record. So that's that's great. I think that's that, really that would be important. Key. Yeah. So th- those people that don't have a track record, how should they? build that track record. Obviously, you're, It sounds like you're saying, don't start saying, hey, I'm a syndicator. Start maybe buy a house or two houses, five houses, ten, whatever it is. Prove that you can actually make money in real estate for other people on a smaller scale and then work your way up. Is that, is that what you're
1: implying? I think so. Some, some of these people I want to say, why don't you go out and just buy up a ghetto property? You know, why don't you just go out and buy a house for $30,000 and rent it out for five hundred a month, you know what I mean? I mean just yeah. get your head kicked in um, <laughs> and, and and show that you have the the wherewithal because a lot of these people they're you know you don't in reality they might not last you know i mean yeah. they they might not you know three or four years they get another job they i don 't know you know what I mean like they you, you want someone who's Well, like Andrew, right? I mean, like he quit his job as an electrical engineer, whatever, chemical engineer, and he's never looked back. And that was like eight years ago, and this is all he does. I don't think he's ever going to say, I want to be a chemical engineer again, ever. Yeah. And there's so many people out there that are just – think that they're serious now, but they're not. They don't have a track record, you know? Yeah. yeah what did, I, did I answer the question? You did. You did. I mean, talk, talk about horizontal
0: income, because you you brought that up as well. And before we move on to back to track record, what what
1: exactly is that? So most of the world lives on what they call vertical income, which is, you know, you get a job, you get a two percent raise every year, and that's increasing vertically. And then at some point in your life, you get horizontal streams. Uh, one is Social Security. That's a horizontal stream. You get that right? Whether you work or not, your retirement may be a horizontal stream, but you might only get two, maybe three. Okay. I've always believed that you should create horizontal streams early, so instead of trading time for money, which I understand you got to do to get down payments to buy things and stuff like that, but it's but at some point your goal should be creating horizontal streams. So I started creating them. You know, like when I first got into College Park, the returns were so good, University of Maryland, I bought 7 of them. You know, boom 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 boom. And then uh, you know with these Section 8 rentals, I started buying a bunch of them. And then, you know, with Cushman, you know, I was like, okay, give me, I'll, I'll put a hundred into that one. I'll put a hundred into that one. And so my goal was actually to create as many lines as possible to diversify. So that if if one of the apartment buildings went bad or one of the rentals went empty, that the other ones were making me happy. And then I started doing the same thing with companies, which is a little trickier because I I bought 16 private companies or, or portions of them, you know, percentages. And I would say out of those, probably only five pay me horizontally. So it's harder to make that work. Those are more kind of like equity plays. But the ones that do pay horizontally are great because then you're like, oh wow, this is great. I'm going to get paid this forever, you know. And then if they sell the company, I'll make a ton too. But it's uh, it's great. So that, anyways, that's the goal. That's cool.
2: I'm a huge believer in that. You know, like having multiple, like they say, multiple streams of income or multiple, you know, lanes or whatever people call it. Like I I love that idea. Yeah. I mean, like what you said there, I think was key. Uh, like when you're younger, or at least when you're as soon as you can. You just people spend so much time trading their time for dollars right at a job or whatever but you start trading your time for these these assets that you're building these horizontal income streams i, I know i love that so and
1: That's you learn awesome. a lot with each yeah. one that you do yep it's it's an educa- it's a built-in education yeah you know so even if you're just looking at profit loss statements on an apartment building and looking at uh, the pro forma on it you know read it seven times you know learn from it even if you don't put fifty grand into the deal, you know, learn from it. And if you do put fifty grand into the deal, pay attention when you get an email as to what it says, as as what's going on with the development.
2: Yeah, you know, it's one of the, one of the reasons I have a hard time with flipping houses. I mean, I like flipping houses; it's fun. But every time I flip a house, I'm like, man, that that income's gone. It's it's gone for <laughs> yeah, good. Like, yeah, like yeah, man, you know? I could I could have spent all that time and you know refinanced it, turned it into a rental property, and kept it for the next fifty years of my life. And uh, I don't know; it's it's, it's always a it's always a tough one, but uh, going back, I have one more question before we move on to the fire round, but I'm curious when you're working with somebody on an apartment complex, they come to you with a deal or whatever you you know, how much do you personally dive into the numbers and how much do you just trust that the person knows what they're doing? You know, like how, how deep do you dive into
1: that? So someone's bringing me a deal. Yeah. Let's say, I mean, and let's I'm say. Considering investing in yeah, it. Like
2: yeah. Like Andrew brings you a deal. I got you. Brandon, trust. Brandon's got a deal. i bring you me. a deal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, how much of this is just trusting me and how much is trusting the numbers?
1: Well, I do trust, but I do verify. You know that that old cliche, but it's sure. um I can look at I have the ability to to look at numbers. You know, get a cup of coffee, shut the door, don't take any interruptions. That's how I got to look at them. But I would say it's about 70/30, mean 70% of it is trust because you just don't know. You know, you you really don't know. There's things that I thought would be terrible investments and they turned out great. And there's things that I was like super confident of and they were complete disasters. And I, I've learned that I, I'm, I'm, I'm not that smart, you know what I mean? Like, so I have to trust other people. I mean, that's good and bad, you know? Yeah. It's good because you pull the trigger faster. Yeah. You know, if you trust them, you're going to pull the trigger. And usually action helps you build wealth or helps you, you know, people that act generally... Do well in this world. But at, on, on the downside is if you put too much in it, you could lose a lot. So I guess the key is, you know, find people with a track record that you trust, even if you have to do background checks on them and a credit report on them. It's, that's not a big deal nowadays, that you trust them. But then do a little here and a little there and a little there. And, and you know, it's not unheard of. You know, another friend of ours, David Osborne, he has 360 some horizontal lines. Oh. So don't think that like ten is a big deal, right? You know, think like oh he's got three hundred and sixty. I want to get four hundred. You know, so so yeah, okay. I'll put twenty five in that one, or I'll put a hundred in that one, or I'll you know what I mean. Just like okay, here's another line, and, and we'll see what happens. So. Pat, Pat, on on this, you talk about
0: the track record. You t- you talk about obviously that that seventy percent trust. You you look over the numbers. Is there anything else that is going to attract you to a deal, or is it just the numbers and the guy or so, gal?
1: Well, lately it's been you know, this is a timely question, okay? Because we're obviously, I don't want to say we're at the top of a market, but we're we're in the upper. Thirty percent of a market. We're somewhere between seventy and hundred percent at the top of a real estate market. Would you agree with that? Probably. Okay. So, yeah. you you have to be more concerned with is it recession proof, you know? And so, to answer your question, the other thing that I would look at today that I probably wouldn't have looked at five years ago, or even two and a half years ago, or two years ago, was is, is this thing recession proof? Is it in a path of growth? That's going to happen irregardless. For instance, Andrew and I are looking at an apartment complex now that, you know, I won't get specific because it's, I don't know what I'm allowed to or not allowed to say, but it's in what we consider the path of growth, okay? Uh, Because of some things that are going in that are being built by the government, let's say. And that's a big plus. And if that weren't happening, we probably wouldn't be buying it because that helps it be recession proof, you know, should the market turn. Downside. It used to not have to be a factor. It used to be if the numbers worked and the performer looked good and I trusted the person, you know, I went in on the deal. Now it's more than ever. Now I'm still buying. I still will buy that, but I'm not as excited to buy. You know, just regular old stuff. Does, it, does this make sense? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's yeah, got to no, be in I- a path of growth or got to be in a an area where you're going to see appreciation. And I hate to say that to anybody because. My whole life I've invested in cash flow, but sure. I think now since we're at the top of the market or coming to the top of the market, you should invest in cash flow and also invest in a, a place where you see some, something that's going to pull it up that's not just the markets. Yeah. Gotcha. That makes sense. Fair enough. I love it.
2: I'm always. I've been a big believer of the idea that like cash flow helps you quit your job, but appreciation is what's going to make you rich. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. so like, yeah. I mean, when I wanted to quit my job, I needed three thousand a month. I said, okay, I went out and found three thousand a month in cash flow. I mean, that it's doable, right? But yes. When yes. it's like, hey, I want to. I want to have twenty million dollars. That's a lot of rental properties to buy in cash flow to have twenty million dollars. So. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. All right. Well, hey, let's shift gears here and head over to. The world famous fire round. It's time for the fire round. These questions come directly out of the Bigger Pockets forums. And uh, today, Pat, we're gonna fire them right at you. How uh, oh, could sticking, you get to those forums, Brandon? Oh, you can get to them by going to BiggerPockets.com forward slash forums. Excellent. And you can ask questions of people like Pat here who can help you out. So number one, when looking at when looking for a residential property. What is the key you found that's brought you the most success? Is it location? Is it the type of property? What is it that you've, looking back, has been the most, I don't know, I'm kind of rephrasing this, but what's been the most impactful, like one factor of your successful deals?
1: I I, I would say something that has a unique advantage, you know, like the college kids being able to rent them Mm, per bedroom or section eight in Baltimore paying 20% above rent, stuff like that.
0: Great. Great. I love it. I think that's great. All right. Cool. Next question. Let's say you've got a million dollars to invest in multifamily properties.
1: Where do you buy, or what do you buy? Yeah, we've been buying. We like Georgia. Atlanta is a great area. It's hot area. There's a lot of people moving in. We, you know, we have several apartment buildings in Macon, Georgia and uh, some surrounding areas of Macon, you know, suburbs of Atlanta, so to speak. For multifamily, that's really where we like. We've looked at some stuff. We had one in South Carolina we just sold. We had two in Texas. We just sold both of those. Texas is peaking. And we had – we bid on one in Florida last month, but we didn't get it, and there were like 18 bids on it. And the person that got it put $250,000 hard – down on it, which is pretty unheard of in the commercial market where they, they basically said, if we don't go through with it after our due diligence, you get to keep the $250,000. It was like a cash deposit that day wow. and outbid everybody else. Um, and that would be hmm, maybe uh, a seller market-esque. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. so, so to answer your question, we like Georgia. Obviously, You know, a lot of my regular little things are in Maryland, but that's just because this is where I grew up. Cool. Right
2: on. Uh, number three, do you consider real estate a business or an investment?
1: Well, when I was selling and I was earning commissions, it was definitely a business. I definitely, I would say the answer to the question is investment.
0: Okay, fair enough. All right, last question of the fire round. My loan was denied because I've switched jobs too recently. Any advice for me getting a loan approved?
1: That's a great question. I had a situation where I wanted to get a loan on my house here in Maryland. You know, I did something. I've I had some interesting challenges with loans. When the bubble burst in 2008, I panicked and I sold a bunch of crap, pulled all kinds of money off the table, and every other loan that I had, I paid off. So mm-hmm. I had all these houses and everything in cash. Primary was in cash. Everything was in cash. And then when the market started getting hot again, where I wanted to start buying again, I couldn't get a loan because I was living off my horizontal income and I'm a declared uh, real estate professional on my tax returns, which if anybody listening isn't, they should be if you can. Uh, And it allows you to massively accelerate uh, things like depreciation. And I get a lot of depreciation off of any income that comes in to offset it. Also, some of these apartment buildings, when we buy them the first year, we'll put hundreds of thousands of dollars in them in repairs, and that becomes expenses that we can write off. So to make a long story short, my tax returns were terrible. I couldn't get a loan. I went and I got commercial loans against some of my properties. So that would be the answer to number one would go to a small local bank. If you're in South Carolina, go to, you know, wherever you're at. If you're in Charleston, South Carolina, go to Charleston Community Bank and generally they tend to lend a lot easier than a big mortgage company. And number 2, I got a loan recently uh, because I have loans now from I have a commercial uh, loan that covers about 10 properties. Fannie Mae, you know, only lets you have 10 houses, mortgages with 10 houses, but I did find a bank that uh, allows more than 10 and I did find a bank that won't even look at your tax returns. So, oh, wow. um yeah nice and so, so just
2: keep looking and and trying. yeah
1: it's out there. they're out there. you just have to find it. I'm sure like the bigger pockets forum is you know I'm sure if not if i I'll go in there and post this guys or i I can text it give you guys the the phone number, this guy that just gave me a loan that does them after ten. now, the interest rate I got was six and three eighths I think or something like that, so I paid a, a high interest rate, but i you got you it. know it was my eleventh investment that had a loan on it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Shoot me over. Put it, we'll put it in the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 190. All right. So that wraps up the fire round. So now let's transition to the very end of our show, which we lovingly call our famous four. All right. The famous four. These are the same questions we ask every guest every week. And so I'm sure you know what's coming. Pat, number one, what is your favorite real estate related book? Other than your own. I know you have your own book. Will which you'll
0: tell us all about. Yeah.
1: That's soon. right. You know, I've read all of Robert Kiyosaki's books, but I think the one that he he was in his flow on that made a lot of sense was uh, "Retire Young, Retire Rich." Hmm. That seemed to put all the pieces together real well. So I would say that. Yeah.
2: Okay, I've not yes. read that one, so I've read. Nor has
1: other anyone ones. mentioned it.
2: Yeah, I don't think so. So
0: cool. Good.
1: Nice.
2: Good call. Uh, what about favorite business book?
1: So I just finished reading this book, and and s- some may say it's kind of earth crunchy. Others may say it's a business book, but. It's written by this guy called Mickey Singer, and basically it's called The Surrender Experiment. And it is a business book in that he developed a software, and he had created a company in Florida with several thousand employees, and he was the sole owner. So it's a business book. But at the same time, this is a guy who never wore shoes, right? He was a a hippie. and. It's all about surrendering. And I've always been kind of a control freak my, my whole life. And and basically what he says is, you know, there's some things that really don't matter and just let go of them and watch what the universe does with them. So rather than reach out and say, oh, you shouldn't do that or, 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 or if you do that, this will happen or blah, 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 just delete the email, you know, or don't even respond and just say, I'm going to watch – what happens in the universe just surrender to the experience or or if you have an employee that you don't have faith in you know just surrender and and have faith it's kind of like the tenants in the college units you know you just surrender to that it's a surrendered. i'm not going to get caught up in, in they they can have the wildest keg party ever i don't really care right i just surrender <laughs> yeah. right what why, why it doesn't make a difference to me so yeah. Uh, So it's called the surrender experience and uh, experiment, and I just finished reading. It was a good book. Nice. The author
0: was you said Mickey Singer. It wasn't Brandon
1: Turner with notions. No.
0: (laughs) 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 Sorry. (laughs) Oh,
1: disappointing.
0: (laughs) All right, right, Pat. uh, What What do you do for fun, man?
1: Okay, so you know, I sold my company, uh, my real estate team, and my partner back in 2010, and then I kind of just decided to kind of. Uh, chill basically just become like an investor or i wrote my book now i do my podcast uh, i i just do what i feel like doing so what do i do you know i don't know you know it's funny my friends say oh i did you go to target today and and stand in front of the gum aisle and see what type of bubble gum to buy for 10 minutes you know and and i you know i um good problem to have. I like I like working out, I like being outside, I like hiking, and I like to travel. I just got back from Jamaica. Nice. My wife and I went met met another couple we've known for years for a week there. Next week I'm going to Vietnam with Go for uh, 2 weeks and and that's going to be an incredible trip. I'm going to Australia and New Zealand with my wife and kids in uh, over Christmas we're going to do New Year's Eve in Sydney. So, nice. you know, I just like to Create bucket list moments and kind of get the most out of life. You know,
2: that's cool. And you you were one of the founders of GoBundance, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we've had like what five GoBundance people. I actually finally just <laughs> I finally just joined GoBundance, so now I'm part yeah, of the part of the cult. So, I mean, I mean Polish tribe. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, wow. I love it. I love it. So, well, it's I, I fantastic. Been invited, but You're totally about? invited. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs>
2: All right. Well, very cool. Yeah, I'm looking. Yeah. I love the bucket list kind of uh that kind of lifestyle. So I, cool. well,
0: I love I love the quote. I like to create bucket list moments. Yeah. I I think that is beautiful. I, I, I really love that.
1: Yeah. Create moments yeah. that you're going to take a picture of. That's yeah. not just a selfie, you know. Here's me, <laughs> you know, standing on this like we went to Norway a couple of years ago. We went to, you know, stood on that rock that sits in the middle of all those Rocks? fjords. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's like in uh. the middle of nowhere There's this is rock and it drops down like it's called K-Rock, Kerbolton. Anyways, we got yes. a picture on top of that, and, you know, what can you get a picture of? What can you, you know? Here's me with this orphan in Vietnam. You know, I mean stuff like that that you're just going to remember forever through a photo. Actually, one of the things I did with Gobanus, I was in charge of the Vietnam trip, and I bought everybody going a Polaroid camera, and I said our goal is to leave a thousand Polaroid photos with children that have never seen a photo of themselves before. Mm, I love That's, that.
2: cool. that's yeah. really
1: cool. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. really cool. Well, cool.
2: All right. Well, my final question of the day and the last of the famous four. Pat, what do you believe sets apart successful real estate investors from all those who give up or they fail or they just never get started?
1: I think it's the middle part. They give up. You know, I, I, And being in the real estate sales business, I saw this a ton where if someone would buy one rental property – and it would drive them nuts. They'd be like, Oh my god, the tenant's driving me crazy. I had to change this. And they called me over there and said this wasn't working and the and the fuse box, the switch was off. You know what I mean? It was you know, blah 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 blah. And they just can't handle it. They let all that stuff Bother them. Going back to what we talked about earlier, you can't let any of that bother you. you. Just have to say, like a mentor of mine used to have this saying, and his saying was, "Everything's going normal," and and that was his phrase for everything. So whenever you're like, "Oh my God," you know, you say, "Everything's going normal." That's how it's supposed to happen. Oh my God, the tenant's moving out. You know, everything's going normal. Everything's going normal. And if you can do that, you can last so much longer in this game. You know, and that's probably the difference between success and failure. You know.
2: Yeah, but, um, I love it. Cool, love it.
0: All right. Well, before we let you go, uh, I know you've got a book. You've got some other stuff happening. Uh, where can people find out more about you? You know, what is, what do you want to share? Let people know. You know that they should check out.
1: Yeah, I would say Google me. I'm all over the place. You, depending on what you want, I have I have a podcast. I have a book. You know, I have a main website pathyben dot com that uh, that I'm redoing now. That should be. You know all my different websites put together. If you're interested in some of these apartment buildings that Andrew and I do, you could just go to vpacq.com. That's vpacq. That's uh, Vantage Point Acquisitions, or you could Google that. It's the only company that's called Vantage Point Acquisitions. Um, and you know that's that's it. it sick oh the book by the way, is Six Steps to Seven Figures. It's a uh... The guide for real estate agents mainly on how to sell more houses and how to invest. And uh, cool. it's, all, it's all over the place, Amazon, whatever.
0: Awesome. Right on. Cool, Pat. Well, listen, man, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really, really do appreciate it. We thank you for your time. And uh, if you guys have any questions for Pat, you can do that at biggerpockets.com slash show190 uh, on the show notes. And uh, thanks again, and we'll look forward to keeping in touch. All right, guys, that was Pat Hyben. Big thanks to Pat for coming on the show.
2: Billion dollars in real estate transactions. That's wow. A That's a lot. That's a lot. Hey, Josh, how many, how many horizontal income streams do you have? That's none of your business. <laughs> I know. I'll sit I, like, I, I, like, I don't know 60. what I have either. I don't think I have six. I don't think I have. 60. I I'm think sure I I
0: have yeah.
2: 60. But I'm going to sit down and count them, though. At, later. Yeah. Yeah. And I've got I'm a few, to, but, yeah. but
0: I, I need more. I need more.
2: So yeah, I'm gonna go out and yeah, find that's, some more.
0: That's my new goal. I'm I'm gonna go and 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 get lots of new streams.
2: Yeah, it's, and I love I just love that philosophy. of, You know, like if something drastic happens to something, you know, if one of my rental properties burns down. I've got another one to cover. You know, I've got other ones that are going to make me okay. I mean even – like I've kind of said that in the past. I think you and I have talked about that. You
0: you actually did have one of your income properties. I, I did have
2: one of them burned back, down. Didn't you? And I didn't make rent for six quite, months. That's quite, okay. quite the story. Yeah, that was fun and we're not going to relive that nightmare. Hey,
0: hey Brandon, but, <laughs> text.
2: Um, uh, your house burned down. Burned, yeah,
0: <laughs> I burned your house down. I don't remember yeah, what it was. I was all, sitting next you, to you. That you need fun. to
2: call me. Your house is on fire and then <laughs> – jerk.
0: Oh, you know exactly what he said, don't yeah. you?
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's uh that's what we get when we buy low income rentals, you know?
0: That's all right. I'm I'm not I personally like I'm not a fan. Pat like Pat's on it, Pat's doing it and like yeah. props to him, but like y- you know, it just takes a different type of person to do it. I I I, I don't think I could buy a college <laughs> rental. Yeah. And not stop by and see that the walls were kicked in (laughs) or that, you know, the keg has destroyed the banister or whatever else is happening in there for years at a time. I I like that. Yeah. That that wouldn't work for me, but like it works for some people. And and so like that's a great strategy for Pat and and I know lots of people who are also doing that. But you know, so you've got to find what works for you. You know, not not every story is gonna inspire you to to kind of do what they're doing, but you've got to take what what they provide and and learn from it and take a lesson away from it. There you go. Yeah. Good stuff. What else is happening?
2: Uh, my brother's getting married next week. Ah, oh, congrats. Yeah, I'm going to be in a wedding. I'm going to be. He's got a brother. Wow. I do have a brother and he's uh getting married out in Boston, so.
0: Oh, wow. I going to go
2: visit the Boston Haber.
0: Don't fat in the back out <laughs> and have it, yeah. I'll try not. To. Boston is amazing. I go go I I'm I'm a Mets fan, so all my fellow baseball fans uh will know that this is really hard for me to say, but Fenway Park is an amazing stadium.
2: I'll right? have to go look and see if uh they it's have a the game.
0: oldest well that or Wrigley, I forget which one's the oldest. I think Fenway is. Um it's one of the two oldest stadiums around and it's just like really cool to go catch a baseball game there it just it feels nostalgic
2: i'm gonna go look and see if they have one while i'm there i'm there for like four days so maybe they, one of the nights yeah I mean, it's the same yeah. night as a wedding whatever what's more important you tell do me Yeah,
0: we did boston oh. tea party this summer when we did oh, nice. that um just you know get out there travel the town man it's a it's a cool town lots of lots of fun stuff
2: that i will i'll take the baby out clubbing you it's, should do it we'll be clubbing it's, 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 yeah, yeah. awesome i do <laughs> all right, right. <laughs>
0: Well, good times, guys. Thank you for listening. Again, this is the Bigger Pockets Podcast Show one ninety. Make sure to check in next time on the show. And if you're not already engaged, connecting to other people on our platform, I definitely recommend you create an account today. Jump in on our forums at biggerpockets.com slash forums. We've got almost six hundred thousand members on the Bigger Pockets site. I mean, there's there's no reason you should not be on there creating an account and connecting. To other local real estate investors, because that's how you build your business. That's how you get deals. That's how you find opportunities. Get in there and network. Guess how much it costs you? A whopping zero. Create an account oh. today for free at biggerpockets.com, and you can start networking today with other successful real estate investors in your area. Make it happen. With that, I'm out of here. This is Josh Dorkin signing off.
2: You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio